Hi, and welcome to the Family Brain Podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to the glorious and messy world of family life and mental health. I'm your host, Megan Gibson. I'm a licensed clinical social worker with a private practice in Austin, Texas. I try to keep it real, and I invite guests who I think might help us navigate this journey of being human. Thanks for listening. Hi, and thanks for joining me on The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson, and today I'll be joined by Ingrid Clayton, the author of a new book called Believing Me, Healing from Narcissistic Abuse and Trauma. And this conversation, I think, is one you don't want to miss if you have ever wondered if your childhood relationships have impacted you in any way now, or if you know someone who this is the case for. She brings such clear language to the impact of early childhood emotional abuse. And I think it's really helpful because I don't think that we've always had language for this. And I'm just so thankful for her sharing her personal story and helping provide some framework around how to understand the impact of this in childhood. So thanks so much for listening. And here is Ingrid Clayton. Hi, Ingrid. Thank you so much for joining me on the family brain today. Thank you for having me. So I want to tell you, I almost told you before we started recording, but I loved your book. It was so well, you're just a very gifted writer. So your book is Believing Me, Healing from Narcissistic Abuse and Complex Trauma. And it's just super powerful, but just really well-written. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. I gobbled it up. Sometimes I buy books because I'm like, oh, I kind of want the information, but this was just really well-written also. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) So I recommend, I kind of, there's a part of me, this is your book, so we can talk about it as much as you want. But what yeah. I'm kind of interested in is one, getting people to read the book because it's fun to read and it's a good read and well-written, but mostly talking about the concepts that you bring up about like complex post-traumatic stress, because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people, and I think in your writing, you describe, this is what it could look like. Yeah. And I'm just wondering, what are the what are the things, I guess, that you really hope people take from from the book about complex PTSD? Well, yeah. So the book is a memoir. So even though I'm a clinical psychologist, I did sort of feel called to share my story. And in the writing process, you know, and even talking to various agents or or whatever, it was like, are you writing a self-help book? Are you writing a not? Is it is a memoir? And I kept going, no, I want it to be memoir. I want it to be memoir. And I think in part because... There are people just like me who have been walking around for the majority of their lives, not understanding that much of what they're wrestling with is a result of trauma. And even though I'm a clinical psychologist who eventually specialized in trauma, I could not see myself in the clinical language or lens. And I think that that is common for a lot of reasons. One is that complex trauma is basically relational trauma. So complex trauma means multiple experiences over time of traumatic events, um, often in childhood, but not always in childhood. For me, they were 
largely in childhood. And so a few things uh, happened to me, which I'm understanding are very relatable, unfortunately. One is that when you experience trauma in childhood, and that can look like a lot of different things. Um, For me, it was active addiction with both my parents and their spouses after they divorced and remarried. My stepfather has narcissistic personality disorder. I didn't know that then. I know it now. So there was a lot of emotional abuse going on in the home. Um, He was grooming me to be his girlfriend. So I talk about all of these experiences in the book, but what often happens with childhood trauma is we are wired for relationship. Infants, as we know, cannot survive without caregivers when they are born. So everything about how we are wired for survival is through relationship. So a child on every level, even though they it's not verbal, they know that they need a caregiver to survive. So when a child experiences trauma, they will make themselves the problem. They will make themselves bad rather than see this person that they literally need to survive as the problem. Because if the caregiver is the problem, then we're really screwed, right? So there's this automatic self-blaming instinct when it comes to childhood trauma. Then you put that next to emotional trauma, which is often what we call, you know, this hidden abuse. Emotional abuse is this, we don't have the bruises. You don't have these distinct markers that often social workers are looking for. And um, a piece of that for me was gaslighting. So gaslighting is designed to make you not only question what happened, but question your reality all together, right? So there's this innate experience of minimization or self-blame. And then that's coupled with the adults in the system saying, yes, it's you, you're the problem. And even decades later with all this education, like I said, in this training and trauma, all of that uh, took root in me took root in my nervous system, the way I saw myself in the world, the way I related to people. So I was like, yeah, you know, I've experienced trauma in this like colloquial, no big deal kind of a sense, but it wasn't real trauma. And if I couldn't see it as real trauma, I couldn't get real help. I continued to sort of spin my wheels because I was calling my symptoms by another name and addressing them in 8 million other ways. And maybe I'd get some relief and some compassion and some information, but fundamentally I still felt so broken. So um, I share my story as a way to give people, it's just my version of these experiences, but I think what people are really resonating with are the feelings and the way that I coped, right? So the specifics of our story don't have to be the same, but what those did to me internally at the time and how I carried these trauma responses for decades um, is very relatable to people that have had this this experience of, of complex trauma. So I said a whole lot in answer to one simple question, but I don't know if I even answered your question. Well, and I think you talking about it is better than me asking question by question, because I think yeah. you can paint such a picture of uh, what your intention was. And yeah. I think that's what you do in the book is that you give people 
your very specific experience, but that is so relatable because of the feelings it brings up. And I think that it made me think when you were talking, I had a guest on the show, Dr. Jen Gaudiani, who works with people with recovering from eating disorders. And she wrote a book called Sick Enough that like people with eating disorders never feel like they're sick enough. And it Mm -hmm. kind of like, am I sick enough to get the help? And it kind of reminds me of the same thing. Like, is this enough? Is this bad enough? You know, and- And especially when you don't have language for it. And I feel like that's what we're sort of doing. I don't know if you feel this too. Like, it seems like right now, there's a lot more talk about narcissistic abuse, gas, gas, was it gaslighting the term of the year or something? The word of Webster, the word of the year. Merriam-Webster's word of the year for 2022, gaslighting. Yes. Isn't that interesting? So we're kind of in a moment right now too, where I think people's blinders are coming off and like, oh, that's right. that what it is? That's right. And even with complex trauma. So, you know, the other, in addition to my personal experiences of gaslighting and, you know, being a child who experienced trauma and not being able to sort of hold the gravity of that, it was also only very recently that the World Health Organization added complex PTSD as a diagnosis. In the States, our sort of Bible of diagnoses called the DSM still does not contain a diet. So it's sort of like we've talked maybe about also developmental trauma, which is synonymous with complex trauma or relational trauma. But I think even in the mental health field, people have not really understood what that even looked like, right? Or, you know, and I was, I've recently started a YouTube channel to start to kind of talk about these things more in length than I can do on Instagram, where I have more of a, a history of, of talking about some of this stuff. But um, I was sharing on there, which I also shared in the book that my family was reported to social services, let's see, 80s, mid 80s. And um the social worker sought me out and we we sat down and this was not, you know, my parents weren't aware of this meeting. It was sort of a secret meeting at my friend's home. And she asked me all these questions that were very related to physical abuse. Do you have any bruises? Are you witnessing physical violence in the home? Tick, 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 tick. And I kept going, well, there's sort of this thing. And I kind of witnessed that thing. And this is happening. There was a lot of, yeah, but, you know, And what she flat out said to me was uh, emotional abuse is not something we can intervene on. And it was the first time I even heard the term emotional abuse at like 11, 12 years old. And half of me is going, well, that feels significant. You're, You're even using the term abuse. It's like, oh, okay, that's something I can hold on to. But it was coupled with, but it's not that bad. Mm. But it's not that bad. And I think what a lot of us, you know, particularly I'm mid forties and a lot of um, people my age, maybe a little older, a little younger, are coming to terms with this reckoning with what we grew up with and how it literally transformed our relationship to ourselves, our relationship to the world. We didn't know that what we were doing was reenacting childhood trauma. And, And I think the piece about trauma that feels so important and ultimately so hopeful is that I went and I tried, I've been a seeker my whole life, right? I have, I ended up being a clinical psychologist. I've, you know, I'm sober for many decades. I've done all the programs, the workshops, the retreats. I have wanted to figure me out and the system that I grew up in out. And 
I have earnestly done that. And it didn't solve the problem in part because trauma lives in the body. It is not this conscious like, well, of course I want to have healthy self-esteem and choose healthy relationships. I mean, of course I did. And of course I read all the books and I was like, yes, that sounds smart. And of course I want to do that. And then I failed and I failed and I failed. And then the gap between those two things, what I wanted and was earnestly seeking, what I was actually doing as it grew over time, the pain and the shame of that was so unbearable. So when I finally really understood how relational trauma growing up in this dysfunctional, toxic, narcissistic family system, I learned to survive in survival mode in this constant trauma response. And the main trauma responses are fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And that then became the blueprint for many decades later. And what often happens is we're living in a trauma response, which the body will always orient to safety. And I found a way to feel safe enough in my upbringing. And then that became my coping. And so anything outside of that didn't feel safe ultimately. So I was stuck in these trauma responses that I thought were my personality. I thought were my deep flaws. I thought, you know, if I can't fix them with my intellect in this, what we call a top down approach, there must be something wrong with me. But when I recognize it and could own it as trauma, I could look at what this subconscious, my body, my nervous system was doing and why it was doing it. And I made sense to myself and the shame then can start to dissolve because I'm not just broken. In fact, my body was doing exactly what it was designed to do to keep me safe. And, and it's what it learned. Like, how could I not have gone through what I went through and carried what I carried in other words? And yet we don't have to live in those chronic states of overactive trauma response. We can find more flexibility. And so I'm thrilled that the conversation around that is deepening and growing and um, that we're having a moment, both related to to narcissism, um, which was also very important for me to name Mm -hmm. because it gave all of this other language. Like I didn't know it was gaslighting. But the original title for my book for years was maybe it wasn't that bad because I lived in this gaslighting. I was like, well, it happened, but was it that big of a deal? Well, I think those were his intentions, but were they really his intentions? It's this constant negating of actual lived experience Um, and other things like trauma bonding and love bombing and you know, I just, all of a sudden it put all these experiences into context in a way that again, allowed me to make sense to myself. Was there a moment or was there a book you read or was it a more about you being receptive to accepting that as what happened? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, was it more developmental or was it, there was just a moment that things shifted? I mean, there were a few moments, um, the big original moment is that five years ago, my stepfather died. And I really think that in order for me to feel safe enough to access more of my truth, Mm. um, 
he had to pass away. I I, I felt so uh, viscerally relieved in his passing that there was just no denying it. I literally felt safer in the world, even if he was thousands of miles away. Mm-hmm. And I'm an adult woman with, you know, I'm a grown woman. I'm a, I have a son. I'm like living my life. But when he passed, I was like, oh, I've never felt this safe in my body. Right. So I think that was a big piece of what unlocked what needed to emerge. And then it wasn't long after where this writing kind of came for me. Right. So I never sat down. I still, if I think about it, I go, I wouldn't choose to do that. I never sat down and said, I think I'm going to write a memoir on childhood trauma. Right. Because that sounds like a great idea. You know, in fact, I'd been trying to run from my history and not identify with it for so long that the idea of then allowing that to be my story would, would, would be sort of so repulsive to me. Um, but the writing itself just literally started waking me up in the middle of the night. It had to be written and I did not know what I was writing for many years, but it was these stories from childhood sort of dropping in these fully formed scenes. And then it was scenes from my adult life that I had no idea how these things connected up, but it was years later that I could look down at my own writing and finally see my story through a trauma therapist's lens. Mm. And it got chills. Literally, I'm looking down at my own writing and, and I'm going, oh, these are the traumatic events. These are my trauma responses. It was like, I could see it in context. And I knew in that moment, it feels like a moment that I have complex PTSD. And that even all the couches I had sat on and all the work I had done that had never been named for me. And when I had the, oh, this is real trauma so much so that I have complex PTSD, I could start looking at, okay, so what is this thing with my stepdad? And in a way, I think it was only in being willing to talk about trauma on social media that kind of opened me up even more to seeing this as narcissistic abuse, mm-hmm. right? And the pieces, it was like this puzzle of my life that were slowly kind of dropping in and coming together. And now that I see it, I mean, it's almost horrifying to me that I didn't have this lens and language for so long because it's just almost so obvious now. It's hard. It's really hard to believe that this is still even a new experience in my body of like, this is what this is. Um, but once I, I could it's make- important that you're sharing it because you are yes. educated, that's you right. know all the things. And I think that I that is where a lot of shame comes up for people thinking, what am I, what is wrong with me that I did not see this or I did not know this, yes. but your brain and your body are protecting you. It's like, you're not meant to know it until you're meant to know it. Maybe. That's exactly right. It's on the body's timetable, not my conscious mind's timetable. And so even though that felt so shameful, like, especially when I first started sharing it, I'm like, so I'm going to go public and say that I'm a psychologist who had no, a trauma therapist special specialization, as a matter of fact, who had no idea that she had complex PTSD. It's like the shame of that feels horrific. And yet I also know that that is the thing that is giving other people permission to go. If she didn't know, if she was minimizing, if she, if this is what gaslighting did to her, 
maybe that's okay that it did it to me. And that just makes me go fine. You know, I'm going to air out all the secrets and the skeletons because um, doing so for me personally has given me more healing and freedom. It's, it's everything I've been seeking my entire life. I feel like I have finally been able to access some of these things. And now I just, I want everyone to have it. You know, I just, and there's no shame in that. I'm like, yep, I'll be the first one to raise my hand. Yeah. And here's how I still, you know, struggle as a matter of fact, because trauma healing isn't linear. We don't go, thank goodness I've done that work. You know, (laughs) I will add, this is a good time to add your Instagrams are hilarious. I mean, it's funny because I think people, you know, trauma serious, right? You do a good job of kind of providing some information in a little funny way. I try. You make me laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, there's sorry, go ahead. Oh, it's just, it is so serious that you, sometimes you have to bring the levity to access it at all. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a line towards the end of your book that says, um, maybe I had to become my own therapist and that is both magical and heartbreaking, just like everything else. And as a therapist myself, that gave me a lot of grace for myself because I think as therapists, as helping professionals, you want to like, I'm going to read the book and I'm going to get in there and we're going to do this thing, you know? And I think sometimes, like you said, the body, the mind is on its own timetable sometimes. Yes. And what do you suggest then is the best way to show up as a helping person just to be there as it unfolds? Or what do you suggest to therapists or helping professionals Mm -hmm. now that you have this sort of like internal knowledge, like what would have helped you maybe not speed it up, but like what would have felt right as you were unraveling it for yourself? That's such a great question. Well, so two things come to mind. One is I want every therapist to go become trauma informed because I don't think that we are. I think as uh, a general population of people in the mental health space and coaches and everything, um, I think we are not trauma informed and not relational trauma in particular. And so I think in that earnestness and in the, I want to do a good job and I want to have the answers. And so someone brings in what we call a problem, quote unquote, that, oh, you're having relational difficulties. I'm going to help you knit that back together. (laughs) I'm going to give you, right. So I think there's this bias towards um, repair and um, sort of holding the, the family system in this like very esteemed sort of like hold on to it's your family, blood is thicker than water, like kind of a notion. And I think sometimes we're really doing a disservice to folks who are actually in very, very toxic family systems in broken relationships. And what they really need is like to figure out how to set healthy boundaries and love themselves, even though they've never experienced actual love from another person in their lives. Like, and I think this understanding of trauma and how it manifests and how we reenact it. Um, Just that information for mental health professionals alone, I think is important. And if you're interested in doing actual trauma work, so being trauma informed to me means I know if this is someone I can help or if I need to refer to a trauma therapist. So at the very bare minimum. I want people to be trauma informed, then either go and take some trauma trainings and get that skill set. And then depending on that model, that's going to give you the tools, right? To go, okay, how do I actually work with this person? Um, 
but a lot of it is about curiosity. The language for me of trauma therapy in almost all of the different modalities that I've been exposed to is about asking and being genuinely curious, not having the answer, not going, I know where we need to go. I'm the therapist. I'm in the driver's seat here. It's in the not knowing and being genuinely curious. What are you experiencing now? And it could be a body sensation. It could be a movement. You notice that you're tapping your finger. Oh, that's interesting. It could be a feeling. It could be an image, a memory, a thought. Being curious about what you notice and what you experience and giving someone uh, their own curiosity about that to kind of drop into these other ways of seeing and relating to ourselves, um, I think is just a good fundamental practice. Right. Yeah. Are there any trauma training programs that you recommend or suggest? Yes. And I will say there are so many and every nervous system is a different nervous system. And so a lot of, I think, trauma work is a bit of trial and error and going, I'm going to try this thing because it's accessible and this person's in my network or, you know, whatever the case may be. And then really seeing, am I experiencing change? And if you're not, bring that back to the therapist, right? So trauma work, I think even more than any other, but I tend to be a relational therapist, no matter, is about the relationship. So you get to say, this doesn't feel right to me, or, oh no, I, I can't go there. Or it's, it's about uh, the relationship that's happening in the room. So if it doesn't feel like it's working, you're allowed to say that. Like, hey, what am I supposed to be feeling at this point? And if you get to the point where you go, oh, I should be maybe experiencing something else that I'm not, it might just not be the right modality for you. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that something else isn't going to work. Um, so I say, be open, see what you're drawn to. Oh, that sounds interesting. Or, oh, that sounds weird. I don't want to do that. Right. But um, I have been trained in somatic experiencing, which is Peter Levine's model and an EMDR. Uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. It's a mouthful. Um, both well-respected um, modalities for trauma. As a client personally now, I, my therapist is an IFS person, which is internal family systems. That's totally blowing my mind. I'm loving that as a client. And I'm hearing a lot of people say for complex trauma that they're loving that. Um, but there's also CBT models, there's psychodrama. So it's just more of a group setting. There's um, there's more body workers than necessarily psychotherapy. Um, so there's a, there's a whole smorgasbord out there, but I say be open and be curious and, and, um, and again, what's accessible, right? Start there. Right. It's yeah. funny when you were saying I'm a therapist, just come on in. I got this. It's funny because it's laughable. And I think there's a little piece of me that wants to feel that. I want to feel like, you know, I, I got this, right? And it's sort of yeah. helpful to have the reminder that that's not what this is. <laughs> that's not even what the what anybody needs. But I think there can be a sort of the human, you're drawn to a little bit more like, okay, this is the way we do it, you know? Yeah. So linear. It's not so linear. And I will say that I also think, and I touched on this in the book, that for me personally, 
you know, even doing my silly Instagram of like, I'm doing jazz hands, right? Like whatever it is, I'm going, oh my gosh, this is absurd. But you know, what's more absurd than that? And it almost like makes me cry when I think about it. Are the people that present themselves as experts and not as a whole human being, because you know what they say to me in my traumatized nervous system? I'm never going to have it all together like you have it all together. They set an unrealistic standard because it's a fantastic marketing tool. I have the answers. Pay for my program, right? It's like, okay, listen, everyone's entitled to make a living. You do you, and I'm sure you're bringing great stuff to the table. But if we don't do it, in my opinion, with a bit more of just this human element that like, Yes, I have lots of tools and information. I do. And I don't have all the answers. Please don't put me up on a pedestal. This is collaborative work. And I also think that that gives the people that we work with even a little more agency to step into some of their own power, the wisdom of their own body that I will, I can see someone for 50 minutes a week. I'm never going to be the expert on their life. And so, yes, we come by it very honestly. I want to do a good job and be a good therapist and have all the answers. And I'm just a human first. And I wish that there was more of that in our field. Yeah, no, I think that's very well put, very well put. And even when you talk about being a parent now and showing up, here's my nervous system showing up with this other person. And it's, I mean, it's, it's a lot, right. To be, let me get my nervous system. And I'm sure it happens better some days than others. Right. Cause we are humans. And, um, yes. yes, but I think sometimes it's those very honest moments of we're, we're all just showing up doing what we know best on the day we know it. Yes. It gives so much permission. I think, mm-hmm. you know, to me, and to people that I work with. And yeah, I want that. It's, I can take a deep breath, even hearing you say it, I go, yeah, because they were, we're doing the best and some days are better than others. And all of that. It's like, yeah, I can take it. I can exhale on that. Well, good. Yeah. Well, I felt that from, from you also. And I think that's the gift of exactly what you're saying of being authentic and like, this is what I know. It gives other people the gift to do that as well, which is a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm wondering, is there anything that you were hoping to share that I haven't asked you about or any other things Mm. you wanted to talk about? I don't know that I had a particular agenda in mind. I was just looking forward to the conversation and seeing where, where it went. It doesn't feel like we've touched on anything where I'm going, Ooh, but I didn't say that thing. (laughs) Well, and I think, I mean, what you talk about in your book covers some really, what I like too, is at the back, you have a glossary of terms, which gives some really nice psychoeducation. Like here are some terms that you might not know, um, which I think is really helpful. And I just think what you've done is very accessible to people. It's a, it's a easy to read. Like I said, it's very well-written. And I think it gives people access to the information that, I mean, I like reading books about things, but sometimes if it's like, here's a book on complex PTSD, it it feels like it might sit on the shelf for a while. Um, I can't read those books a lot of the times. I love Bessel van der Kolk's The Body Keeps the Score. Have I read it cover to cover? No, no, I haven't. I'll pick it up and I'll get pieces, but that, that kind of content when it's that heavy can feel too triggering for me. And so, yeah, I shared my story, but then there was the therapist in me who was like, but I, I need to have some kind of 
I didn't want to like put it in between the writing because I think it could create that experience where you kind of like, oh, I'm checked out now, get back to the story. But for the people that wanted it, I said, okay, <laughs> the clinician in me needs to have a 20 page glossary at the end where I go, this is what trauma bonding is. And he, I've given some examples in my story and you know, here's a, a quick definition. And also it can be sort of a springboard to more information if people want it because they have the language, you know? Um, and for the people that don't want to read the glossary, they never have to open that page. They just get to have the story kind of wash over their nervous system and they take what they take from it. And, and, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm grateful that people are reading it, that they're identifying, you know, it is not only did I not set out to write this book, I, I always sort of imagined that my story was kind of a unique one hmm. and I'm finding that it's not, which is giving me this amazing sense of community. And it just is breaking my heart at the same time. Yeah. Because I think if you look at sort of where we started of like, well, what is this complex trauma thing and emotional abuse as hidden abuse and the ways that we were sort of impacted there are the obvious traumas that everyone can go, well, yeah, that was traumatic, right? And then there's this whole subset of experience, maybe just right beneath that, that I think it includes a lot of folks that have been missed. Right. And I'm so grateful for this shift in our awareness and language and being able to talk about some of these things. And how it's happening on social media, which also blows my mind. Before I wrote this book, I, I've always been on social media, but it's been very personal, private accounts, seeing my friend's kids, right? So to then go on Instagram in particular and do like hashtag complex trauma or narcissistic abuse. And then suddenly my feed is just meme after meme of these short, easy to digest things that I could read that were reflecting my experience in such a powerful way. I mean, man, there's a lot that can be said about social media that's not great, but this for me is such a positive aspect of it. I wish I had this when I was growing up. Yeah, to understand. Yeah, I I agree. And I think it it's just helping give people language and just even that sense, like you said, of community, even if it's not somebody, you know, right there with you, it's that sense that you're not alone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, I highly recommend your book and I'm wondering if you can share where else people can find information about you, if they want to learn more about you and your book and your funny Instagram. Uh, yeah. My Instagram is at Ingrid Clayton PhD. That's the name of my YouTube channel as well. And my website is also my name, IngridClayton.com. I have a newsletter sign up there. If you want to be in the loop on workshops and things I might be doing in the new year. I'm not taking on any more individual clients. I know a lot of people are curious about that, but if you want to work with me in a larger group sense, definitely uh, sign up on the mailing list on my website. And the book is available on Amazon. So right now the print paperback and ebook are available and an audio book's probably coming out in the early new year. I've recorded it and it's being edited it, there's more hoops there to jump through than I ever realized, but it's in process and probably available uh, in the early new year. So you can check on Audible then. Awesome. It was, did you read it yourself? I narrated it. Yes. I narrated. That's the word. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, same, same, yeah. <laughs> same difference, but yeah. Yeah. I couldn't imagine anyone else doing it. And yeah. So 
So I did. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm sure it's been a ride for you. The whole, I mean, this is a big, yeah, but it's exciting. And I think I love what you say about just if it's helping people, it's like your gift to other people to, and you just never know the ripple effects. I'm sure you are already feeling helping them. me. I mean, to, to be honest, that's almost like my new compass now is like, does this feel like it's furthering my own relationship to self and my own healing and has the byproduct of helping others? It's like, if it does that, I'm going to lean in. And right. if it doesn't, it's sorry, it's not for me. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today. I love talking to you and I will make sure to post a link for your book so other people know how to find it. Thank you for reading it and for such a lovely conversation. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. If you've thought of someone you know while you were listening, I would love it if you would share this episode with them. And if you really loved it, you could leave a five-star review. That helps people find the show and spread the word. Thanks so much for listening.